we have a lot more practice at it than we think we do because it's how we talk to people when we check out at the grocery store. It's meeting new people for the first time. It's asking for directions or asking for help. Like at a simple level, it's any time we're interacting with other people and having to be ourselves. You're listening to CWC Talks, a podcast from the University of Florida Counseling and Wellness Center. In each episode, we discuss mental health topics related to the experience of being a student and share the struggles and joys of taking care of your mental health while in college. Please note, CWC Talks is not a substitute for counseling and may be sensitive for people who have experienced trauma. All guests' views are their own and do not speak for the CWC, the University of Florida, or the mental health profession as a whole. This is Chelsea. And this is Olivia. And this is the CWC Talks podcast. So on today's episode, we're speaking with Taylor Williams, um, and we're talking about public speaking. So I know this is something that a lot of people feel really nervous about, and it's, you know, as Taylor says, like, it's, it's one of the things that is people's top fears, really, um, is talking in front of other people. Um, so Olivia, <laughs> what are, you know... What are your thoughts on public speaking or experiences with that? Yeah, it's it it's definitely anxiety provoking. And mm-hmm. I'm just like thinking back, you know, when we were talking to Taylor, how she mentioned that there are all sorts of types of public speaking. Like it could be talking to somebody at a store or um, talking to your professor or talking to going on an interview or on a date or something like that. It's not necessarily all about um, doing a presentation or anything like that in the classroom. Um, And I think that's where most of my embarrassing moments have come from. (laughs) Not necessarily like speaking in front of a class, um, Mm -hmm. although there have been a couple of those, but it's been in interactions like normal everyday interactions where I might fumble over my words or I will trip and fall, you know, when walking with somebody, you know, and it's just, it, oh, it makes me never want to leave the house again sometimes, but of course I do, but it can be, yeah, it's scary. It's a scary thing. Those are those moments you, your, your brain replays in your head (laughs) when you're, falling asleep and you're like why did I say that stupid thing like 13 years ago to someone why did I say that what was I saying yeah I can still remember exactly what I was wearing when it happened and it's just like oh my gosh those moments can feel so vivid to us but hopefully other people don't remember as much as we do. Right. I I know I was always someone that like, I never wanted to talk on the phone. You know, I feel like that was always such a big thing growing up. Like I felt like calling, like ordering pizza or something felt like this huge deal. (laughs) Yes. I struggled with the same thing too. And I had to like memorize what I was going to say. And I was worried they were going to ask something I wasn't ready for. Um, and I'm not, you know, I, I feel pretty confident ordering pizza on the phone now, (laughs) but, (laughs) but, you know, I still, I, I'm an introvert and I have, I struggle a lot with social anxiety in general. So, um, 
you know, things like that, like talking in front of other people, whether it's like in a small group or in a a presentation, it makes me nervous, but it's something like professionally I've had to do a lot of. So Mm -hmm. I think having just more experience with that has helped me to feel more comfortable. Um, But, and a lot of what Taylor talked about today, I think is, you know, really good reframes um, Mm -hmm. for different ways at looking at those situations um, that I think can be helpful for a lot of people. Yeah, I think so too. Okay. Well, I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. I think there's something that everyone can take away. Um, so hi, everyone. My name's Chelsea. I'm here with Olivia today. And we're here talking with Taylor Williams about a topic that I know a lot of us struggle with, whether or not you're a student, and that is public speaking. Um, so Taylor, if you could just introduce yourself a little bit and talk to us about what brings you to the podcast today. Sure. Yeah. First of all, thank you for having me. Um, I know we've been looking forward to this for a long time, but now it's come ac- it's come al- around so quickly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are. We were just talking about how quickly the semester happens. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to be here and talk about one of the topics that I love that unfortunately scares um, a lot of people. So hopefully I can be helpful there. But just to a little background, um, I was born and raised here in Gainesville. So I love Um, Gainesville and I love being a gator. Um, I'm sort of a double gator, as people say, um, that I I went here um, as an undergrad in business and then studied mental health as well. So my master's degrees are in that, which can relate to both of you. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And then I had sort of a funny... I took a funny move in that I left Gainesville and went to New York. I lived between New York and DC a couple of times over seven, eight year span. And I started doing improv comedy, live storytelling. I wrote comedy. Um, I was doing a, a lot of writing and performing. And although that wasn't the most linear move to take from having studied business and mental health, um, <laughs> it kind of changed the course of my life in that um, I, I found that I love to perform um, and, and really be on stage and be with people in that way, but also that there were a lot of lessons that I realized we could take from um from the the world of performance art that really overlapped with the world of business and mental health as well. So now what I do is kind of combine all of those things to, um, I'm a trainer. I do, you know, corporate and NCAA athletic team training, um, around, uh, you know, team building and communication. Um, I use some design thinking and storytelling work um, in what I do. And then I'm an adjunct at UF and I teach for the College of Journalism in various ways and the Innovation Academy as well. Um, And in non-pandemic times, uh, maybe I'll say that, I'm going to say that in a different way. (laughs) And also I lead a live storytelling organization um, where we help people put their true stories on stage in a performative way, but also kind of a self-actualization sort of way. So that's a fun piece of what I do as well. All of that sounds so exciting. And when you mentioned, (laughs) when you mentioned the improv stuff, um, I know I've had some clients who decided to take some improv classes to try to overcome their fear of public speaking. Yes, I think it's it's one of the best tools for that. Um, Improv teaches so many life lessons. Uh I think on its face, right, it looks like it's fun and it's play, 
it is definitely fun and definitely playful, but there are so many deep lessons in there that can help us get over our fears, um, kind of of ourselves and of working with others, uh, but certainly getting over the fear of public speaking. And really it teaches us to judge ourselves less, judge ourselves uh, less in like decision-making ways and also just how we kind of show up and interact with other people. Um, so it's, gosh, there's just so much there. I mean, that's its own like yeah. episode, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. So I'm glad that some of your students <laughs> and your clients are finding that as a resource. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's um, a group that's um, started um, through UF Health around public speaking um, or around social anxiety um, using improv as a way to oh. kind of um, address a lot of social anxiety concerns, which I think is so cool because I've also had some, a little tiny bit of experience doing improv also. And yes. I found it like so helpful at, even though I have a lot of social anxiety, it was really helpful at learning how to be more present and connect with other people in a way that I was less in my head. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's it, Chelsea. It's being mm-hmm. less in your head. Oh my gosh. It, it totally uses different areas of our brain. And so when you're fully enmeshed in something and immersed, I think that I just, that's funny. The counseling terms just start to come out. Right? <laughs> we're not enmeshed with, we're not yeah. enmeshed with improv. We're, you know, <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's like, we can joke about that as, as um, our type. Right. But um, yeah, when you're, when you're just really deep in that kind of play and creativity, it shuts off areas of your brain that are more likely to be judging the self or, or just worried about appearing. I mean, it's a lot of different things, but second city improv Olympic, you know, some of these like bigger training, uh, systems for improv that help people do uh, one of the, their major, um, areas of focus in the last several years has been to work with social anxiety. And so I love, I don't, I'm like, my mind is blown that I didn't know this about UF wellness, but that's so cool that they're doing that work. Yeah, it is really cool. I think it might be the first time they've done it. I don't, ah, I don't know, I love but that. it's, it's a, yeah, I, I thought it was pretty cool as well. Um, well, I, I also wanted to kind of transition into, um, we kind of mentioned public speaking a few times and um, throwing that word around. And I was wondering, <laughs> like, for you, how do you define public speaking? Like, what, what is public speaking? Yeah, I love that question. I think for most people, it's a sound bite. It's dun 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 dun. Yeah, here it comes, public speaking. Um, but I think so. For me, what I what I like to tell people is that I think public speaking on on its face looks like I'm I'm talking about something that I'm supposed to be an expert in in front of people that I'm not sure I know and trust with a huge PowerPoint behind me. And I'm probably going to break out in hives and sweat through my shirt. Right. I mean, this is kind of what we associate with public speaking. No wonder we're terrified of it. Right. But I actually think my hope is that redefining public speaking can make it more like doable and, um, and, and hopeful for people. So I think public speaking is more all the ways that we present ourselves publicly to the world. Now that also sounds sort of scary, right? But I think we can make it more simple in that the re- we we have a lot more practice at it 
than we think we do because it's how we talk to people when we check out at the grocery store. It's meeting new people for the first time. It's asking for directions or asking for help. Like at a simple level, it's any time we're interacting with other people and having to be ourselves. And why don't while I don't think that totally takes the fear out of it, it makes it more of an accessible everyday practice. And I think when we define it that way, it allows us to see that there are less scary and daunting and perfect ways, you know, um, that it's not so based in, in perfection or like these big performances and that we can get better at it. So I think one of the, the reasons we define public speaking in this terrifying way is that we're always thinking of these big like stage performances or the people that do it really, really well. So you might look at someone who's an avid public speaker, a keynote speaker, or someone you love to hear like Brene Brown or the Obamas or Gary Vee, like who I, whoever it is, fill in the blank. But you're like, if I can't do that, then I may as well not bother at all. Well, that's, I mean, that's just a recipe for disaster. But if we can redefine it to say, okay, those people are like the pinnacle for, for all the reasons I like them. But what about the everyday people around me that I see as great examples of public speakers? And it might be a professor you love. It might be your therapist. It might be a favorite bartender or a staff member somewhere that you feel like are really easy to talk to. So I think we can redefine public speaking when we look at those examples um, and, and kind of map that onto our own experience. And like you said, not having it be so associated with just um, performance type or presentations um, type of public speaking, but just, you know, somebody who's really friendly at the grocery store that you go and talk to and they just have this ease about them and kind of practicing out your own public speaking skills with that person. Yes, exactly, Olivia. So looking at those interactions as actually opportunities to practice that if you if you are someone who aspires to give a presentation or or feel more comfortable when you're pitching something at work you know if that's kind of your example of what you'd like to be better at you can practice in those smaller situations like the one you just mentioned as how do i want to feel here can i is it that i want to feel more confident do i want to feel more open do i want to feel more available to this person Um, do I want to get my message across in a straightforward way? What is my goal and how can I practice that on a smaller scale? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that definitely feels a lot more accessible and (laughs) less, less risky than like when giving a big presentation or being in front of a big group of people where you might, where there's a feeling um, real or perceived of being judged or evaluated. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh my gosh. You hit on so many great things there. So yeah, we don't want to get into the risky situation or the high stakes situation and then have to practice. That's when it feels like it's too late. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. So kind of breaking it down into those accessible moments, but you also touched on something critical too, Chelsea, of that feeling of judgment. And what was the second word you used? You said judgment or um, evaluated. Evaluated, yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's a really powerful word to use there too. So 
I think, you know, public speaking truly is statistically speaking, one of people's most just debilitating fears. But I think a lot of that is based in the fear of judgment. And, and, you know, that doesn't go away after you're a little kid and you've grown up and like, you know, experienced the world. It's like, no, we, we just experience in a different way as we get older, but that fear of judgment of, uh, rejection of, or, you know, even risk-taking those are at the top of that list too. And they're related to public speaking. So like what a whopper (laughs) of a thing to have to deal with. It's daunting. And when we think about being judged or evaluated, we don't necessarily think, oh, these people are going to think that I'm fantastic, that I'm doing a fantastic job. We automatically think of the negative. You know, we prepare ourselves for that worst case scenario that we're going to get booed off the stage or we're going to fail our presentation or something along those lines. People are throwing tomatoes. I mean, we just (laughs) go to the... The nth degree of how bad that's right. We don't plan for um, how that's going to go well. And I love that you said that Olivia for a lot of reasons, but one is like, it makes me think of, you know, techniques too, like a visualization, for example, as an athlete, I was an athlete for a long time as an athlete, you don't sit around and think about your game going poorly, right? Like no one would ever say, why don't you sit around and do a 20 minute visualization exercise of how bad things could be tomorrow, <laughs> right? That would be really, really weird advice. You yeah. can, you don't have to practice. You can think of all the way. That's what keeps you up at night. You think of all the ways that it's going, you're going to fail, right? That's easy. Mm-hmm. So the advice to an athlete is to work on visualizing yourself excelling, right? So we give that kind of advice to athletes, why wouldn't we give that sort of advice to ourselves when we're going into a public speaking arena, whatever that is for you of, of, again, what would that feel like if that went well, how would I feel not only accepted by other people, but how do I know that I'm okay? That's a very different thing to picture. Yeah. I love that reframe and it feels like it feels hopeful. It feels like there's so many more, there's just more opportunity and options and that's way of thinking about it. Thank you. Yes. This is uh, see, I, now I'm going to go back and listen to everything you guys said in this episode and just seriously <laughs> take notes and be like, that's what I need to tell people. But yeah. There's more, there's more openness and hopefulness in that. Right. Chelsea, like that, Oh, there are options for me. And, and you know what? The option doesn't need to be perfection. That never works for anything. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's one of those weird things that is so hard for human beings to learn. We just really kind of expect things to be perfect or easy or some mix of both. Maybe that's like because what that's kind of what we're like fantasizing could happen. But we can we can plan to be like. How do I know that I did well? How did I feel safe? How did I, and, and also how can I re- leave room for improvement moving forward mm-hmm. and get out of that perfectionistic mindset, even with public speaking? With the reframe too, like imagining how you're going to do well, how you're going to feel when you excel at something, it also internalizes it a little bit more 
so that mm-hmm. your feelings are not necessarily based on the judgment of other people, but how you are judging yourself. Yes, that's right. And I think that's a huge piece there is we can we are usually perceiving, and this might be true outside of public speaking arenas as well, but you're right that we really focus on what's everybody going to think. And I think that's very different than probably two things. It is it is important as a public speaker to identify your audience. We have to understand them as a form of respect. Mm-hmm. Who are you re- talking to? What? How is this message going to be received because of who you're talking to? So that, I think there's an energy exchange there. But regardless of how your audience, whoever they may be, is accepting you, you have to be okay with how you're presenting yourself. And if that is really off, it's it's a lot harder for that interaction to feel okay. So it's kind of like that idea of being grounded in ourselves before we over worry about how we're being accepted by others. Mm -hmm. And being congruent and transparent, you know, kind of a, what you see is what you get. Yeah. Yeah. Type of type of viewpoint. That's right. And that's where I think a good amount of authenticity and vulnerability comes in. And so I don't, you know, those are those are two categories where I think we're learning a lot right now about what yeah. authenticity and vulnerability look like, particularly when they're put together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and um, and so that's a huge piece of the public speaking space for me as well. Is exactly what you said, Olivia. Like, really, what you what you see is what you get. But I have to, as the public speaker, how I'm presenting myself to the world, I have to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. before I give it to you. Right. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask something. So I'm, I'm thinking about students that might be listening to this, that might right. be preparing for a presentation or things like that and can be very nerve wracking. And I think sure. one of the things that um, some people can worry about is um, just blanking, like having that, mm. like being on stage, being in front of a class, doing a presentation and just totally like mind goes blank. Oh gosh. You don't know what you're going to say. And like talking about it, I feel nervous too. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, can, I can feel that feeling like, Oh, what do I do next? What do I say next? How do you, like, if you get to, you know, let's say you, you've done this self-work, self-reflection and everything, you, but you still get to that point. Like, yeah. do you have any strategies or like ways to move forward after feeling like stuck like that? Yeah, that is such a good question. Mm-hmm. A specific one of that mind blanking feeling. Oof, yeah. we've all been there. Well, I probably none of you listeners have been there. I'm sure that that's <laughs> <laughs> we'll all have, we'll just talk to you about that, but um, yeah, yes. Okay. So one of my big things is that we all, we all do know what that feels like. The mind blanking, the fumbling over words, the losing mm-hmm. the train of thought. Um, you know, we, we like, forget the statistic we were going to say, whatever it is, like, you know, pick your poison, mm-hmm. <laughs> but about all of the, the, all of those examples or whatever you can come up with as your fear, we've all done it because it's human. 
So I think one of the biggest mistakes we can make when we have that mind blanking moment, to use that as the example, is we don't have to freak out and apologize all over ourselves. Um, So there's something that happens where people uh, really feel like they need to say, oh my gosh, I said I wouldn't do this, or I feel so stupid right now. Hang on. Oh my gosh, I'm freaking out. I'm starting to sweat. So like while they're going through it, they're sharing every detail of how awful it is with them. It does feel awful, but you don't, the more you apologize and freak out like that, the more people are drawn to, to your problem. If you just say, like, what if you tried this? What if you said, oh my gosh, my mind just went blank. Hang on. I'm going to find it. Keep yourselves busy while I find this fact in my mind. Or, you know, like you make a joke about it mm-hmm. or you say, wait a minute. I just, I forgot what I was going to say. Let me check my notes real quick. If you don't have notes, right. Hang on. I'm going to get back on this. Anybody got anything cool they want to talk about while I find my train of thought, you know, I, so there's there's ways of kind of stalling without apologizing all over yourself that I think also gives you a minute, allows you to get your swagger and your confidence back and your composure. Part of that is when we start to freak out and other people are witnessing us freak out, they start to worry about us, but it's also that we reinforce the freak out, the somatic response in our own body. Mm-hmm. So we're saying, oh, yes. Oh, yes, body. That's how this feels. Oh, my gosh. Isn't this so terrible right now? Now everything's going to start to sweat like weird areas are going to start sweating because I'm just allowing this freak out to just take off and run. So we can start to do the reverse where we start to help ourselves feel safe. No, no, no. I'm okay. I'm scared right now, but I'm also okay. I'm going to find my train of thought and we're going to jump right back into it. And so there's, yeah. And so, and it might be like, hmm, Taylor, that's great. Easier said than done, but that takes practice too. So that's another thing when you're in a one-on-one conversation with someone and you lose your train of thought, it happens all the time in that moment. Don't freak out. You're practicing. Oh, make a joke about it. Find it again. Get back to the conversation. Yeah. It feels like that kind of shift feels a lot more calming internally, like for the person going through that, but then also for whoever is on the receiving end and the situation might be the same, like either way, you still forgot what you were going to say, you know, right. Got your mind went blank, but you are telling yourself and reminding your body to calm down. Yes, exactly. And telling other people like, Hey, I'm okay. I did forget my train of thought. Mm -hmm. I'm being authentic and vulnerable in this moment. Mm -hmm. And you guys are watching this happen, but I'm going to be okay. And then every now and then you got like, how many times have we, I certainly can attest to this. I've been in situations where it's like, Nope, that train of thought is not going to come back right now. So I'm going to move on to the next thing. And then at some point, if it pops back in my mind and it still feels relevant, maybe I will choose to say it. But if I haven't, if I haven't freaked out about it and apologized all over myself, no one's going to remember. No one cares that you moved on. (laughs) And that's magical. Like if we can keep that in mind and just know that like, they just didn't care that much. Like they moved on with us. 
we helped them move on with us. And then they're on your team. Mm. That's that to me feels also more hopeful, (laughs) right? Like there's more, there's more space in there. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And I, I also love too, that you, you said before, just like the humanness of forgetting things or, you know, like, I think that takes so much pressure off. Like the goal is not to be perfect in delivery, you know, unless you are like the president's giving like an address, you know, to the people, like you don't have to be perfect and it's okay to forget, but you don't have to put too much energy into that. Exactly. And, and, you know, I think we believe people more and we want to go with them when they are imperfect. So, right. So there's something where like, you're not buying it if it's that polished and perfect, Um, Or maybe you do, but it's like, I don't know. I just, I don't think there's as much normalcy in that. That's not the norm. Mm -hmm. So what I I like to think of, like, if you can kind of brainstorm about some of your favorite speakers, um, podcast hosts, which is obviously Chelsea and Olivia, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, your favorite stand-up comedians um, or like your favorite TED Talks. So something like that. Mm -hmm. It's probably more likely that part of the reason that you like them is because they feel like a human Mm -hmm. that you would like to hang out with and talk to. Mm -hmm. It's not that they're perfect and unattainable as a human. Mm -hmm. That person's more likely to feel cold or unreachable or gosh, like that. I could never relate to that person, right? Like an unrelatable person. So I think, you know, when I watch a Ted talk and someone loses their train of thought or they look a little nervous or they start to giggle in a place where like they are giggling because the audience is giggling or something. That's a moment of humanity. Mm-hmm. That's what it's I so would en- see. It's so endearing to see it's that. Endearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And just being open to, so knowing that you can actually give that gift to your audience, whoever it might be, one person to see if people, whatever as a speaker where they're like, ah, oh, I just feel kind of more human by listening to that human talk. Like imagine if that's the <laughs> scenario that you create. I mean, that's, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it gives the audience permission to when they have to go and speak in front of other people. It's like, okay, I can be human. It gives yes. them that permission to be themselves and say, this person did a great job they weren't perfect. It's okay if I'm not perfect too. Exactly. And what a beautiful thing, right? I mean, that's powerful. If we're giving each other the permission and the opportunity to go like talk about what we love or be our best, but also be real. Mm -hmm. If we're just like passing on that permission by all being willing to be human and, and fumble and whatever, I think Mm -hmm. that's like best case scenario. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think you mentioned this before, but it, it's like this invitation to connect with others. Yes. And I really like that because it's not, you know, it can feel like this one-sided thing, um, you know, when it's even 
again, in like the grocery store example, you're talking to someone, it, it can feel like if you have a lot of social anxiety or anxiety around that, that can feel really hard, but reframing yeah. it as an invitation to actually connect with another person, um, I think is, is a really nice way to reframe that. Good. I'm glad that that feels right to you, Chelsea, because I think it's like this combination of we want to grow to be grounded in ourselves, right? So earlier we were talking about it only goes so far with an audience if you are just feeling terrible, right? So we're kind of trying to grow that feeling inside of ourselves. But then the piece that you're talking about, I think is critical is that invitation to actually build community and relationships. And in that way, externalizing the practice of public speaking takes the pressure off of us. It doesn't have to be all about us. It can be about giving that gift to other people. So it's not, that's a huge difference. It's not about being perfect for the other people. It's not about impressing the other people. You don't have to teach them everything and be a guru. It's an invitation to connect with them. Mm-hmm. And that's, that is, I think that's a critical, I don't think that's how we're taught to think about public speaking growing up or in education or a public speaking class, but we have this opportunity to kind of fuse like in the best sense with our audience and we're all learning and we're all teaching in that environment. But I like the word you use invitation. I think that's really important. I wanted to, um, I know that we've been in this pandemic time (laughs) a a while, but I I did want to talk about a little bit how that has kind of impacted these connections Mm. we have with other people and, you know, connecting so much more over Zoom or with masks on. And it's, it's, we all, we all know this, we've been living through this for a while, but that way of connecting is a little bit different now. Right. Yeah. Gosh. Right. I mean, that's something we all know, Um, you know, and, and really like any age or phase of life or job or anything, what that's like, because we all at the very least, you know, go out into public in some sort of way. It might be going to the grocery store and the gas station, but we like, that's how we're interacting with people. So I think it's, you know, I think the body language piece of connecting to human beings is, is really strange right now. Like, I don't know about the two of you, but as much as I yearn to connect with other people in person, when I'm in person with others, I find myself renegotiating how I'm interacting with them. Mm -hmm. Am I allowed to hug you? Um, gosh, I sort of forgot that you like, uh, introduce people you're with to each other. Um, I don't really know, you know, who's met, like, who have I met? Uh, I find myself just being a little bit more um, awkward and fumbly with what those interactions are. I also find myself being more um, exhausted by social interactions, not because I don't want them to happen, but because the energy exchange is different. (laughs) It's the Mm -hmm. second time I've used that phrase, but I mean it. Like You're just negotiating that space differently. I also find that I get more joy then I used to almost like I was taking it for granted before or something of like going to live music outside and seeing friends. I'm just, I come home just like overwhelmed with joy of the realness of that again. Um, so, so that's like in the social aspect, I think in public speaking, as far as that's concerned, 
I think we have, we're kind of in a funny position, an awkward position where we've been given this new way to get better at public speaking through having to be the added challenge of dealing with Zoom screens and things with Teams meetings, whatever it is, all the time. It's, it's provided a new challenge, but if we want to reframe that one, a new opportunity of all of these ways to practice. You can't, you can't hide. And so that can be sort of exhausting, but it can also be a way of trying to connect with people differently. Mm-hmm. So it's a funny yeah. spot to be in. I think we're still, we're a little bit in the in-between land a little bit. I'm not going to yeah. call it purgatory because it feels a little bit too right. <laughs> but, uh, I feel like the in, in between times, I, I like kind of thinking about it as that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's been like over, over Zoom, it can be also really challenging because I know, I don't know if either of you have experienced this, but I've had to give presentations since we've been through this mm-hmm. um, over Zoom where everyone has their camera off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you're like oh, talking yes. to just the void, it feels void. like. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I yeah. also understand sometimes when you're on Zoom a lot, it can Me feel too. exhausting to have your camera on all the time and you don't want to look at yourself and Right. Um, it's also not normal to look at a big group of people and see everyone's faces like the whole time too, mm-hmm. right. you know, to, like you wouldn't normally be doing that in person, but, but yeah, it, it, it feels weird. And sometimes maybe it makes it a little easier, but it's just, it's odd. It's just talking odd. into <laughs> It's just odd. It yes. Is. I mean like the webinar format too, mm-hmm. where, if you're the speaker or the facilitator or whatever, you don't see any people. So they could be, I mean, it's just the way that that Zoom webinar is sure. set up where mm-hmm. you're like seeing the slides you're presenting, but like, you don't see yourself. You don't see that. You know, you don't know if people, if they were to have questions, you couldn't even read their body language. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah. So, I mean, man, I, that it, it is just weird. What you said, Chelsea is like, the other thing that I find fascinating is the function, the added function of the chat also gives our more introverted friends or just like, Ugh, I really, I'm really uncomfortable with this like camera space, but I still have the ability to ask questions and interact in a way that I feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. So the chat actually added a way for people to be involved that maybe wouldn't have otherwise. And I've, and I've really gotten to know my students, some of my more quiet students more deeply, and I'm grateful for that. So it's kind of this give and take, but speaking yeah. into the void is just weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just weird. Yeah. I do yeah. appreciate the zoom chat, like as someone that is a little bit more on the introverted side, um, it, it can be, you know, it, it can be hard to always keep up with it, but it can be really helpful as a way to stay engaged um, yeah. in this format, I think. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's not perfect, but it mm-hmm. provides a different way of, mm-hmm. of doing that. Um, another, <clears throat> another challenge with Zoom that I've noticed for myself and other people have, I've been in conversation with others who have felt this way is and this can kind of lend to self-esteem, self-confidence, is now I am 
intimately aware of how my face looks <laughs> to other people. Yeah. And, and it's like, oh, wow. You know, especially in the midst of the pandemic, it's like, oh, I really need to get my eyebrows waxed and, you know, just <laughs> kind of picking myself apart. And I know that other people do that same thing too. Yeah. Um, how, how can someone overcome that? You know, if they're already struggling with accepting themselves um, in public speaking, how much of the, I guess, the, I guess, self-confidence, how much of their body image might, mm-hmm. might lend itself to that? Yeah, that is such a great question. It's a layered one, I think. Right. So yeah. So one of my um, good friends, Morgan Whiter, does great work around this. So she she wrote a book called The Worthy Wardrobe. And she does a lot of work around worthiness and personal style, uh, mm-hmm. particularly with women um, in this in this book, but her her uh, work really spans anyone and everyone. But um, she talks about trying to play up the things that you love about yourself. And mm-hmm. on, the, on its face, that might seem simple. But I don't know if we always do that because of what we talked about earlier, that we're always looking for what's wrong. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so what's right for you? I mean, you know, um, you know, so I think that's a huge piece of it is like, what do I actually want to play up? You know, did you, I have friends who have told me I've discovered that I really like to wear, you know, bold lipstick on zoom calls, right? Uh, you know, that's just, that's like a playful example. I have another friend who keeps different, uh, bras by her, uh, <laughs> by her computer and will choose the bra given what conversation she's have over, over zoom. As you will. I, I love that. I think that's so great. Like, you know, so this is a different way of playing up certain assets, you know, if you want to take it that way, Hey, however you want to interpret that. But I think one of the things this makes me think of too, though, is like Kristen Neff's work around self-compassion, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to take a brief pause because construction has just started right next to me. I'm going to close my window. I don't know how much you can hear. That seems very loud to me. I don't think I can hear it. Okay. I didn't notice it. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay. Sorry about that. Whoever's doing has to cut that part out. Um. (laughs) So this also reminds me of Kristen Neff's work on self-compassion. So she will talk about, you know, how we can picture giving loving kindness to ourselves and then giving loving kindness to other people and kind of having that awareness that we are all experiencing the same thing. So Olivia, I think to your point, you said like, you've talked to a lot of people who have that, like, oh gosh, I should have waxed my eyebrows or like, do I really make a face like that? Or Mm -hmm. gosh, like for me, I've learned that my bottom teeth are far more out of alignment than I had imagined. Uh, You know, things like that, or like, it could be, I, I need a facial, whatever it is. (laughs) And, you know, but that we're all feeling that way. It is, it is, impossible that we're the only person on a zoom call, not scrutinizing ourselves. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. And again, it's because of the humanity of it. I mean, right. And so it's kind of that normalizing thing that we've been talking about by saying, gosh, we, can I have some grace for this? Cause we are all experiencing this right now. I think that changes the, the mindset around it. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, playing up your strengths, not being afraid to play up your strengths. Um, you know, do you, or for some people, do they want to explore getting a ring light? Like, is it about changing the lighting? Would that make you feel more confident? Is there something deeper going on where you actually feel like, man, you know what this is really about? I'd like to be getting more sleep or I'd like to be doing something for my self-care. That's a little bit different. I don't know. Maybe it's that. Maybe that's what you're feeling in the Zoom call. Mm -hmm. You could explore that. Right. I love that kind of like compassionate way of looking at it and kind of digging into like where those thoughts or feelings are coming from. Um, I know another um, tool of Zoom that I know I don't necessarily always utilize, but could be helpful um, if you're feeling like you're too focused on your own photos, you can actually hide your video on Zoom so you don't even have to look at yourself. Um, <laughs> if you wanted to, if you just wanted to take away that mental energy, because I think it's just a natural thing to mm-hmm. focus yeah. on that um, when you're in a Zoom call. Yeah, that's really good advice, Chelsea, because I feel like we don't, I don't think any of us would advocate for like, well, just never look at yourself. That's the problem solver right there. But if it's, if you're on a call that you feel is high stakes and your self scrutinizing is really becoming something that's hindering your performance or mm-hmm. it's just too much of a distraction right now. And the kind, the kind and compassionate thing to do is to say, I will address this later, but for now I'm going to hide my video and focus on the task at hand. Then mm-hmm. maybe that is the form of self-compassion you need in that moment. Mm-hmm. Sure. That's, a, that's a really cool suggestion. It's just, it's, looking at it differently and then maybe being willing to come back and say, okay, why was I bothering myself so much there? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what can I do? If anything, I like that. Um, I I know also um, before we finish up today, I I know that you recently wrote and published a book that came out recently. Is that right? Yes, and very I, recently it came yes. out. Yeah. I, I was wondering if you wanted to share like any insights that you gained from writing that or, you mm-hmm. know, any um, little nuggets or takeaways. Obviously, it would be great if everyone also read the book too. But if, if there's anything <laughs> uh, that you wanted to um, pass along to someone maybe listening to this podcast. It's really nice to ask Chelsea, but you know, I'm not going to answer it so that people do have to read it. I'm not going to give anything. From the- <laughs> this is not top secret. This is a sales pitch. No, um- <laughs> yeah, thank you for mentioning it. So I, just to give you like kind of the feel behind this book, it's, um, it's called Beyond the Words. And then the, the, the subtitle is very long. Um, How to Conquer Your Fear of Public Speaking and Confidently Present Yourself to the World. So that kind of, I mean, that's what we've been talking about, right? So, mm-hmm. and a lot, I love that a lot of the questions you've asked, like particularly that piece of how is public speaking an invitation to connect with other people? I think that's a huge aspect of the book that I discovered as I was going along is like, oh my gosh, this actually isn't about us <laughs> as much as we think it is. And there are new ways of interacting with people. So that was a huge thing I learned. Um I also think I just, one of the, my favorite parts about the process of writing the book is that 
I got to do a lot of interviews and research on how people experience their own form of public speaking. So this is like musicians, ministers, uh, teachers, you know, people from all different walks of life um, who have experienced public speaking in different ways. So I think really from like almost the practice of writing the book, it showed me again, as I've learned so many other times before, that we cannot assume someone's experience. And that's very true about public speaking. Like you might think someone feels so confident and so just exuberant on stage, but really they're just dying inside, mm-hmm. you know? And so it just, I think the process of it was so cool and that I got to talk to so many people who were willing to share with me why their version of public speaking is so difficult. And I think it just lended it all to itself of what we've been talking about today is the humanity of this process. So it's just, it's a practice. Um, But yeah, but I think I, I, the goal though, is to move people from being less fearful and more hopeful about public speaking. And that it is not something that you're born with or you're not. It is an attainable, you know, you, it is a skill you can practice Mm -hmm. and there is a place for accepting where you are now, whether you think you're proficient or you're just like, it makes you lose sleep and you can start from there and get better from there. So that that's kind of the a hope. Yeah. I I like the goal being to move to a place of hopefulness as opposed to the goal being I'm going to be a, the top-notch cream of the crop public speaker. Yeah. Um and By the end of this semester, <laughs> I'm gonna be like Oprah. Like that's right. not a good <laughs> goal. Don't do that. <laughs> but yeah, but moving to that place of hopefulness and that it's something that you can work on, you know, even if you feel like you're not the most charismatic person in the world or the most extroverted person in the world, it's, it's something that you can feel more hopeful and confident about. That's right. And, and, you know, even some of the people who speak with a lot of not like one person I'm thinking of, um, that I I met at UF who was giving a Ted talk. They said, you know, I have, testified in front of Congress 30 times. I have pitched ideas to NASA scientists, but this TED talk has got me totally freaked out. So this is like an astrophysicist or something. Like I don't even remember her title, but she's not hurting for intellect, you guys. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. or for public speaking, but sometimes it depends on the setting. So we have to remember that even the people who are, are, you know, wicked smart or appear to be really confident or whatever it might be, they still experience their own fear because of their, that fear of judgment or that one time they messed up or, you know, so I just, we all have our struggles with it and things aren't always what they seem. We've talked um, a lot about the invitation to connect with others. And my final question for you, Taylor, is what is your favorite way to connect with other people? Mm, oh my gosh, that's such a neat question. I think storytelling has given me a huge way to connect with people. I mean, I am I'm so fortunate that through running a live storytelling organization, which is largely about performance, right? I think people go in, oh, I'm but really 
it's given me such a tool for connection with people. Um, and I don't care what their story is about. If it seems like it's going to be comedic and or like scandalous and you know, kind of salty or whatever it is, there's something about every story that is an insight into a human being's experience. Mm -hmm. There's always something to work through or like, why did that happen like that? Now that I'm thinking about it, (laughs) you know? And so I really like connecting with people through stories. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's why podcasts are so great too, right? We get that insight, even if we never see the person's face or totally understand who, who they are or whatever, we Mm -hmm. get to step into their story for just a little while. Wow. I love that. That's something I really love about podcasts too. It's like, you can be a fly on the wall um, (laughs) to other people Mm -hmm. and like hear so many different perspectives. Right. Right. Like we all want to walk around our neighborhood at night and see whose lights on and just be creepy and see what people are up to. Right. But in a podcast, you can just like do that and it's not creepy. It's what you're supposed to do. That's how I like to connect with people is just creepily. No, I just, (laughs) yeah, but it allows us to be a fly on the wall in a way that we're, we're all sharing with each other. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that you would like to um, share with students or someone listening before we finish up for today? Uh, sure. I mean, one thing could be that if you um, want to write an email, if you have any questions or want to be in touch, um, my email is gutsandglorygnv at gmail.com. Um, I'm also mainly on Instagram as far as social media is concerned. I need to get better at things like LinkedIn, I suppose, but gutsandglorygnv. Um, and so I just love to connect with people and hear any feedback or questions or, you know, take a class. If you want to take a a class, I also teach personal branding to undergrads um, in the journalism department. So, you know, there's anything like that. I love to connect. Um, But like, mainly I want to say Chelsea and Olivia, you are excellent hosts. And I wish that people could see you hosting all of your episodes because just the warmth that you're exuding in this space is kind of magical. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. We so much appreciate your time um, to spend with us today. It was really awesome getting to hear from you and connecting with you today. Yeah. And thank you for sharing some of your own experience. That's how we all, you know, get better. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening. You can find CWC Talks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found please leave us a rating and review us. Email us at cwc-talks at ufl.edu with your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. Show notes, resources, and more can be found at counseling.ufl.edu slash cwctalks.